I'm your host, Josh Allen. Welcome to episode seven of Still Rolling. On this episode of the show, the emphasis is on post-production. This is still the podcast that delivers everything and nothing in equal measures. You'll get a bit of film industry chats peppered in amongst anecdotes from seasoned professionals and some folks that are just finding their feet in the industry. Jax Harney joins us and I'm delighted to welcome her on the show. She's a senior colorist at Envy Advertising. She's kind enough to walk us through some of the importance of codec choice when thinking about the best image to present a colorist with. And Jax also points out some great stars tips if you're thinking about getting into that part of the industry. So that's enough from me. Enjoy the show. Thank you very much for joining us, Jax. Jax is a senior colorist at Envy. Is that correct? Is there any more to that? Just Envy. Envy Advertising. Envy Advertising. Based <laughs> we have in, two parts. <laughs> based, in our, based in our nation's capital in London. Yeah. So, Jax, thank you very much for joining us today. I appreciate Thanks, you making, yeah. Yeah, making the time for us today. I really, really appreciate it. Especially as, as I said, I wanted to expand on these different roles within the production process. And for me, definitely a big bugbear within the industry it's like not getting enough time to work on color certainly is a big problem <laughs> and i love working with colorists um i personally love your work i'm very grateful for having you on the show today because obviously Thanks. we're able to get into that bit and if the audience wants to check out your work they can go into your instagram and have a bit of a dive or they can go and check out envy's page well let's get straight into it first and foremost how how on earth are you doing today i'm doing well um yeah things are slowly developing into a new normal I heard that people are starting to shoot again so I'm feeling very optimistic today <laughs> how has that actually been for you guys I mean obviously from my perspective with the shooting it's been like oh cool no one's filming anymore um and then I guess does that filter down to you guys the fact that there's simply nothing coming through or do you have a backlog of stuff you can work on so yeah we we had a few jobs in the pipeline still um when lockdown began so we were fortunate that for the first couple of weeks we nothing really changed apart from relocating to my kitchen table in my lounge um, <laughs> which was easier than i expected um what yeah, kind no, of we, have you got there have you got the laptop uh, <laughs> what kind of thing i'm no, imagining a suite at home that you just like yes <laughs> I yeah no I t- I took mon- I took all my great monitors home. Um, I had a panel. I sensed that we were potentially going to be going into the lockdown, and so ran to Wix about two days prior to us getting locked down, and bought up all of their black sort of you know that floor material card <laughs> stuff that you walk right. on, and literally built a black box hole in my lounge um, and had a bias light in there, and yeah, it was a. Uh, little hot <laughs> grading room oh man i guess a far cry from the envy grading suites where it's like slightly less spacious <laughs> slightly spacious, I mean, to say the least i i missed um i missed all of the runners all of the producers all of the assistants suddenly i've got to do this it's myself um, like you get to lunchtime and it's like i'm really hungry why has this happened yeah what i've <laughs> noticed is that i I definitely take for granted that I don't have to go out and get lunch every day because when you're doing all of that, it definitely eats into that time that you've said that you can grade in. Yeah, have you got to throw out any shout outs, any thanks to those people that looked after you while you were working? Uh, definitely, Liam, our head runner, is 100% my respect goes out to him and always will do from now on. 
there's a new level of appreciation for people oh, working in Envy. Yeah, I mean, it's just me. Now that I'm back, I'm back in Envy at the moment. Um, most people are, well, I say most people, all, everyone is still working from home. It's just me and Danny, um, the colorists that have gone back in. And there's literally me, Danny and Liam going into the building. So I still have massive appreciation for that guy. <laughs> so. That's excellent. That's good to know, though. Yeah. I guess the, the you know the best place to start with this um, is probably where you got started with this because so much so much about this industry is there's so many different routes in and we kind of touched base with the people that we've been to, talking to so far and they kind of shared a bit about their story so without getting too into it too much was like being a colorist and that is colorist correct color grader or is it colorist is correct right uh, I personally prefer colorist some people say grader same thing that's sort of <laughs> From that perspective, was it like, was that always something you were looking to get into? Was that always a fascination of yours or was, you know, what was your interest in the industry to start with? Um, so, yes and no. <laughs> I had a bit of a strange route into the industry. Um, I've always been obsessed with colour. So from school, art was my number one subject. I wasn't an academic as such at school. Um, so when I went to college, I decided to study ceramics because I was from art at school, enjoyed making things. And I wanted to get into ceramics and pottery. And that was that was my passion. Um, and through that, discovered... Um, I can already imagine your parents' conversations with you about this. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I come from Manchester. My dad worked um, at security at Manchester Airport and my mum was a post office worker. And they were like, can you not just be like a nurse or, a, you know, a lawyer or, you know, something that's going to bring in like loads of cash for yeah. us? You had ambition, <laughs> right? No, I'm going to make parts. Um, so, amazing. So, but then I realised that um, I wasn't actually that good at making the parts, but I was really good at taking pictures of them. Right. Okay. So fell into photography that way um, and then discovered that I was obsessed with taking pictures. Um, How far did you so get before you realised that you couldn't make parts? I, uh, so one year in, I'd say. I'd so my second year, you have university. to pick what you want to. No, I didn't. I didn't go to university. I suppose that you got that far. That's pretty far. No, no, no. Didn't go to university. Um, okay. I was supposed to go to university um, to study photography. I, I was accepted at Leeds, um, but then didn't end up going to university because a friend of mine who works in a hair salon um, used to cut the, the photographer's wife's hair and they needed an assistant. And I met with him for a casual coffee and he was like, I don't, you know, why are you going to university? I can teach you everything you need to know. Like That's just going to be a waste of space. So I was fortunate enough to get in with him because his assistant was pregnant and leaving and he wanted a female assistant, which was amazing back then. Like this was many years ago. Um, and so, yeah, I, I started with him when I was 17 and he... We'll try and put a little timeline to that. Are we on film or are we digital? Yeah. Film. Oh, okay, cool. So we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> For a few years as well. Um, <laughs> Keep going, keep going, keep going. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean. So, so yeah, no, I so I was with him for like four or five years mm. and he he molded me into a, the perfect photography assistant and taught me everything I knew about lighting, dealing with clients, briefs, retouching. He was the first person who got me on um, Adobe Photoshop. What sort of style shooting are we talking? Studio stuff or like all sorts of different types? He Obviously was like mainly strobe lighting, natural lighting, that sort of conversation. He was he was commercials, so he okay. did um, everything from still life. Um, he had a studio in Manchester and he had a studio in Knightsbridge. We used to flip between the two, 
Um, and he used to do everything for, yeah, from still like, I remember we went to Switzerland on a shoot to shoot three snowboards in the snow. And we were there for all, all week right. to do two photographs. Sounds all right. Back in the day. I miss those days. <laughs> <laughs> I miss those days. Um, we shout out yeah. so much. Well, that environment certainly sounds conducive to actually learning. It's not like you were sort of with brilliant. a journalist or a sort of a photojournalist trying to learn from them whilst they're trying to do their job. Sounds like a really... No, it was brilliant. It was me and him for a lot of the time and he was an incredible teacher. Um, yeah, I, 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 I owe him a lot. His name was Jeff Smith. I believe he's retired now. I haven't spoken to him in a number of years. Jeff. But um, there you go. yeah, cheers to Jeff. He was, he was awesome. Start of Jack's <laughs> so, yeah. colouring career. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so that was... That was so I, I was then in photography for 15 years, 14 years. Um, moved down to London hopefully yeah I mean I I wanted to be so I kind of darted around in the in the industry though I wanted to be a photographer realized that I wasn't very good at taking pictures I'm quite good at recognizing what I'm not good at sounds like you're pretty far in that point but yeah yeah wasn't well not no not 15 years in I was in the industry for 15 years I'm happy I'm talking someone's gainfully employed in a very very respectful (laughs) position right now because this story could have gone another way (laughs) I know I'm not sounding too good right now. I, pr- I, prom- I promise you, MB, I'm good for what I do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I was, I wanted to be a photographer, and then when I first moved to London, I realised, yeah, I'm not actually that great at, p- at taking the pictures. But I was really good at manipulating them, and that was kind of what was getting me through. Was I'd spend way more time manipulating my pictures than I, I did shooting them, and I found that I found that side of it way more fun. Okay. So then got into retouching essentially and doing yeah, on-site sense, retouching. Sense, yeah. And that was kind of, that was over a, a number of years, went from like running a digital business with a photographer friend of mine, um, like renting out kit at some point. I went through several bits of the photos industry until um, I ended up sitting in on a grade because the photographer that I was working with was getting really frustrated that his still images weren't being mirrored in the motion. And he was like, look, you, you make the, yeah, yeah you make really the stills look like they do. Can you go in and can you go and sit in and, and see how this is done? Mm. Um, and that was how I then learned about color grading. And as soon as I walked in and saw like the Starship Enterprise mm-hmm. and decided that, oh my God, this is home. This, this, this is where I now need to be. Um, no way. And it all just clicks, yeah. And so now I can honestly say that I do actually think I'm quite good at colour grading. Oh, well, <laughs> it's just taken sure. a anything, several number of years. Definitely <laughs> talk yourself out more than that for sure. <laughs> Thanks. That's why. It's so a yeah, that's so. that's my random route in. <laughs> nah, I appreciate you sharing the story because there's so many different things there that kind of stand out for me. I mean, the amount of directions you can pick up on those things. But one of those fascinating moments is like. Definitely the retouching element, even looking at, obviously I'm assuming that was some sort of ad campaign where they've got complimentary stills to the, yeah. um, to the video side of it, of course. But again, there's so many different parts of that conversation. It's like, well, why? Why did it look so different? But if you're shooting on, I don't know, to coin a, you know, some sort of digital equivalent with a massive sensor and a stills photography camera and those sorts of things, and then you're getting into... Um, you know, the, the film side of it or the video, I shouldn't say film, video side of it get. <laughs> Yeah, terms get confusing. The video side <laughs> of it, certainly it's like, okay, hold on. How do we replicate that? 
even if we're using similar lenses, you know, we're going for the sharpest image. There's so many other variables. I mean, of course, a big part of that is simply the color. Like you're not representing one singular frame. It's 25 frames a second. And there's so many different elements that come into contention at that point in time. But we did promise we weren't going to nerd out too much here. So we'll take this one step. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're in safe territory at the minute. We're safe so far. We're safe, I think so, we're far. safe so far. Okay, cool. Okay. Well, <laughs> So a lot of what you do is working on advertising stuff. Um, what's like, how does that process kind of work? Let's go through the basics of that. So do you get to pick the projects you work on for one? You, or is it very much like they bring something to you? How does that process work? It's kind of a mixture, really. Um, majority is obviously because it's advertising. They'll come to the producers. There'll be a budget. And that will often dictate, as always, how much the, a, a job can get in obviously a job that's got a huge budget is more likely to get time than a job with a small budget but a job with a small budget would perhaps come to me first so anybody who knows me um knows that they can segue their way in with a really pretty looking grade and I get excited and then I'll be potentially up for giving one of my evenings up or something like that um They're just so, yeah, dabbling with the smoke and mirrors and that's it yeah, I've done myself in quite some times on uh I've ended up working like a full week doing evening grades because I can't say no. <laughs> Not the kind of thing we're trying to promote here. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm a sucker. But if they, you know, if there's a job that's got a massive budget, obviously we are a business and we do have overheads that we have to pay. So if there's I love doing charity work. I'm uh, there's directors that I work with a lot and because it's charity based and what they do there's not always necessarily the budget that will give you a daytime slot in an ad agent like and you know if an ad agency's got that time you know we have to think about the building and staff and everybody that's there so yeah that's what I'd be like okay cool I'll do it tonight instead like come on in we'll have a few beers and make you look pretty <laughs> Well, that, if, too fair. It's good to know that you're actually giving those opportunities to people that are actually, I, I guess, something I was going to follow up on in a bit was some of those projects that come through those sort of different avenues and different channels. Because, I mean, I've worked a bit in advertising in terms of like the shoots that come through. And it's all, more often than not, as you said, it's how much time do we have versus the money that we have to make something happen. And like, if you come to me, the ambitions like that, I need to go like, right, cool let's do everything and let's go and run around and let's do 20 days shooting or whatever, you know, and, and 20, day, you know, 20 staff and all that sort of stuff. And then obviously that's then suddenly that ambition has got to get filtered down into like real world. And then a the producer gets upset with me because, <laughs> because I've given them the problem <laughs> instead of myself. Yeah. They love that. I hear. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I guess in terms of picking that pro you know, to get back to that, questions like do you get to pick that or does it pick you you know do the clients pick you in that regards or um I think it's it's kind of 50 50 really I think some people I know that there's there's companies that have so I'm working with people now that I hadn't worked with the place I was prior and that's all to do with like agency relationships with post-production houses yeah. and also now, especially at Envy, because the place I was before didn't have a VFX department and a sound department, and they were just purely about color. Whereas now, um, there's almost like a package deal to be had. So I think maybe perhaps like something, a job might, for example, come into Envy that they really want like Arjo Rich to work on. Um, 
because they they're incredible um but they might not have worked with me or danny before for example for color so if they really want to do argent rich but they've got you know maybe they've got a different budget that doesn't necessarily cater for all of it they, yeah. there's package deals that'll then get had for like well if we do the fear facts we do the sound and the color so next, sometimes i think directors will end up going to a different post house not necessarily with the colorist they want but maybe they'll have the the sound person they want but then I know also like some director friends of mine that have really started putting their foot down recently and being like, no, very much part of what I do comes from working with Jax on the colour that she puts on my films. That's what you're coming to me for in the same way that they will for the sound. So then in which case they'll break it apart and they'll go elsewhere. And I think that's one thing that Greg at Envy's been trying to do more is make each department their own little boutiques as well as being you know, a big, we can do everything, but we don't necessarily have to do everything. We, we have unique teams. I guess there's definitely a point we're trying to get to with that as well. It's like in a roundabout way, my, you know, my conversation in that regard is, is trying to identify that. Why? Because ultimately it's so important that people get to pick the right creative staff for the task that they're trying to, trying to achieve. And obviously so much of that in my experience has been to do with relationships. You know, yeah, you, you have a rapport with a person and they understand your style, but it's not, you know, whilst there is a book of terminology, it's not always how, <laughs> what you remember. It might be like, oh, yeah. you just do that blah, blah thing. And then they're like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, but that doesn't happen straight away. And you need to develop a relationship yeah. with someone, right? But, uh, but, and every colorist is different. Like the differences between me and Danny, um, I mean, he does things that I'm like, what, how, how, why, what is that? Like, he does things I'd never even heard of coming, you know, before coming to Envy in the same way that um, I'm quite intense with my grain, <laughs> um, my, my filmic um, reproduction. This, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of my thing. Um, I'm quite specific about how, how I, approach replicating film I don't just throw grain on the end of it I'm I feel like when you're trying to replicate a film stock it's not just about film grain it's about the texture of the film as well as you know you might have a halation and if it's 16 mil you've definitely got halation so if you're throwing a 16 mil grain onto some stock footage that what what is that it's not going to look like 16 mil and different so stuff handles highlights in different ways and stuff like that right exactly so you'd have like more of a glow on a highlight there's just so many different ways um so my grain layers will be like you know they can get quite extensive like 20 20 layers sometimes um and this is something that you know that that's my look and that's what i've been working on for several years whereas danny's looks a lot cleaner for example so if you you know not saying that danny can't replicate film because he he does a really good job of you know replicating film but he does it in his own way in a very different way to the way that i do it so if you're coming for a certain look i think you should use a certain colorist for that look like i don't think people come to me for really clean grades i don't think not to say that i can't do them i just don't think it's what i'm known for Mm. but that's i think that's you know a surefire sign of the level as well, isn't it? Like at certain levels, you're going to pick people versus, you know, what you're trying to get from them. You're not trying to say to them, oh, can you do this? It's like, no, I'm coming to you for this purpose. And, yeah, you know, that's, exactly. I get, that's a huge part of kind of, you know, what I'm trying to help communicate to 
well, not just the <laughs> listeners, but just generally people. It's like so much of a learning curve in what I understood about the industry and about you know all the different processes as I've worked my way through it, is that each person has their, their job for a reason. But so much of that, it's like, come on, guys, this is a creative and collaborative industry. And each person should have their creative process within that. And the amount of times I've been in grading suites, I've been like thrown in for like half a day to do a job that was should have taken three days. And it's like, nice to meet you. Let's go. And you're like, oh, uh, God. Go for like a Rec 709 then, I guess. Let's just get it. <laughs> yeah, I tend, to, I tend to not go in for that much. <laughs> like, but then that's something that I'm quite lucky that I do tend to re- liaise with the producers beforehand and they'll send me a whip or they'll give me as much information and they'll always ask me how long I think I'm going to need for something. Um, so the, the chances, I think we brushed on this slightly earlier where, you know, as much as there's different colorists, there's different producers. So a producer that produces long form broadcaster, for example, will, will bill a job and will quote a job very differently to a producer that it works only on short form because on a broadcast job, it's all about, you know, matching, getting it like super, super, I don't know. It's not, it's not really as in depth. So they, they won't spend like they're looking for a real representation more or less. Right. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, they're trying to make it look good, of course, but they're more not about, as heavy stylized, I guess. yeah, exactly. Whereas in an ad, you could spend easily half an hour debating just how red a tomato could be, <laughs> which sounds really superficial. But if you know, if you're on, if you're on an ad for a tomato brand, then that's you know that's their brand color, and it's got to be perfect. And that tomato has been put in every frame, so you've got to make it exactly the same. It's a weird reference, but yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like you referencing something specific here. Is there like? Is I was like, trying to keep it unbranded. <laughs> like, need a bit of therapy with this one. Was there a bit? <laughs> I had a really tall tomato grade, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Um, yeah. it, it does reveal a lot, though. And it's, again, it's something which I'm I'm happy we can share with people. It's like just how much is not only involved in the process, but kind of for me is a pain because it's more often than not one of the things that's chiefly overlooked yet so unbelievably critical. It's like you've shot, you've got your, you know, for want of a better word, your digital negative, and now you're putting it to the next process. And it's the final part in the puzzle. Exactly. It's like the thing that dictates quite literally what it looks like. And people have to skim there. It's like, whoa. Uh, Bad colorists can ruin a great, like they can ruin your piece. Like I've seen some, shocking grades that have gone out and you're like I'm pretty sure the the, the Rec 709 would have looked better than that <laughs> <laughs> not going to name any names it's all good I could already see where that <laughs> was like you know well, we're not just going to we're not going to rant here we're not going to we promise we weren't going to we weren't going to rant about iPhone footage and bad grades <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you mean if I came to you with my iPhone footage you'd be like what was if you know so I call you up tomorrow. I've got I've shot this feature length documentary on my iPhone. How are you feeling about that, Jax? I mean, I'd, I'd be very polite on the phone, but I would be rolling my eyes in the back of my head. <laughs> it's quite funny. No. I think not. You know, more than one person has said on this um, on this show that their favourite camera at the moment is their iPhone, which I completely sympathise with. It's a great tool for capturing things, but it's not a professional tool. Horses for courses. An iPhone is great when you can't get an Alexa. But 
if you if you imagine if you can afford an Alexa and you can have an Alexa, then the what you're trying to do with your footage has so much more possibility. And you know, are you really expecting to project your iPhone footage in, in a cinema? Are you, you know, if you didn't get your crop exactly right, do you really think that's going to hold up if you've got a punch in slightly? And don't even get me started on if you didn't balance it right, because you are pretty much locked into that grade. I realise that we're getting on for this. It's like we're just getting really bitchy, really far. Yeah. <laughs> I love iPhone, honestly, I promise. It's all right. No, it's, it's good. The thing is, there's, there's, a, there's, 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 there's a time, there there's a a time and a place for, you know, Every camera has its own specific time and place. And iPhone definitely has its time and place at the moment. But please let it not just be the time and place post-locked. And the audience has to understand where this is coming from. That's the thing. We're talking about advertising. We're talking about yeah. people that are, you know, going out and shooting this stuff and going like, oh, this kind of with this being encouraged to do so rather than the opposite way around. So that's the thing. It's I think if tough. if you if you can't shoot anything, then an iPhone is great. You know, if you have no access to anything, then shooting on an iPhone is better than shooting nothing. But if you're making that conscious decision to go, oh, well, I'm going to get an extra five grand in my bank account if I shoot it on my iPhone rather than stump up a little bit and shoot it on an Alexa, then that's a terrible mistake. <laughs> That's an interesting way to put it. And I'm not sure we're quite there yet, but sure, I'm enjoying what you said. <laughs> Future, like the, the longevity of whatever it is you're shooting. If you aim to, you know, do anything serious with it. I'm getting really ranty about iPhone footage. I promise I wasn't going to do this. <laughs> it's, okay, it's good fun. It's good fun. I think, you know, the premise that we're trying to achieve here is ultimately that horses, of course, is situation, yes. isn't it? And I think the Definitely. kind of question that goes along with it for me is probably like, and where this kind of ranting comes from is is more when to up your game. Because it's like, at what point in your career do you need that next tool? And I feel like this is a big, you know, topic of conversation within the industry because it's really easy to go like, I don't know when I need that thing. But a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves to go like, I need that great thing. And that great thing is going to make me amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to completely go back on myself now and say, <laughs> if, if your end product is an Instagram video and that's all it's ever going to get used for and it's only ever going to be online and, you know, reality is it's never going to be bigger than on your laptop screen, then why are you shooting that on an 8K red? You know, that's going to cost you a lot of money. It's going to, it's going to eat into data. There's, there's multiple you know, like workflow wise, that's going to be really system intensive for the colorist because obviously 8K footage it takes a lot longer to grade. It takes a lot longer to edit. It takes a lot longer to export. It uses up countless amounts of hard drive space. So if, if you know that, you, you know, whatever it is that you're shooting is only ever going to go on Instagram and your options are, you know, I don't know. <sighs> Your iPhone, a C three hundred. I love um, that you're now picking cameras out of the air. Come on, keep going. An Alexa or or a Red. Like I'm always going to go Alexa, but the Red should be the last case. <laughs> so some bias here. Well, just because you know Alexa shoots ProRes, it's easy. You can kick it straight over. 
it's simple. It's a simple workflow as well. Like that's one of the reasons why I did find interesting about the post-production workflow on the red though, is that a lot of that does come into contention. I feel like, I don't know. It's really strange. Like obviously 8K, I mean, maybe let's have that quick conversation in terms of if someone actually gives you 8K as an acquisition format. Like why is it necessarily labor intensive? It's good for us to understand, you know, from your perspective as a post house. Um, it's the day well, getting too tech and they're too nerdy. Like, I'll- yeah, I mean, ideally with with the red, you want to be using a red rocket. So there's more there's more system requirements that you need. It's obviously you're talking eight k worth of data. So it's the the files are huge. So if you've got a render on a on a on any pretty much any machine, you're you're aiming to have real time playback, especially in a in like today's world where a lot of what we're doing is remote grading you don't want to be remote grading 8k footage really because it's the the data that you're having to you know it's just huge um so I the question there as well just to help the audience out a little bit at that point in time is it the resolution or is it the the raw or is it like which bit of it's the the, the painful part on the on the, on the computer there, computing system? all of it <laughs> is the honest answer it's the like because you've got to debayer it and it's the so the raw the raw of the the red as well you you can get into you know there's a there's a lot there's a lot of there's a lot of information which is great don't get me wrong having a lot of information if you're shooting for IMAX is brilliant but having all of that information if you're shooting for an iPhone that will never see that extra information is pointless it's interesting, honestly, to hear from your perspective where that comes in, especially from a post side. Like, from your perspective, does the ProRes package have enough within it? I mean, obviously, if you're providing that you've got the other... I, you know what? I'm going to straight into that one. One of the questions from my perspective was, I was lucky enough to hear this from a gentleman called Dada Valencic and have that conversation with him about, like, early on in my career, about how, what is the most important thing? If I'm coming to you with footage as an acquisition format like in order of preference to get a real nice digital negative. And like, we're talking about things like, you know, cause obviously the resolution conflict comes into it, but then like we're talking about um, bit depth, color bit depth. Like what are the most important things from your perspective? If someone's bringing you some, you know, some footage. Um, for me, shot right. Top of the list. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't have, I don't have to do as much recovery. Exposure, right? <laughs> Exposure. Keep making sure your white balance. If you're shooting ProRes, make sure that your white balance is set simultaneously because it's all good having your exposure the same but it, there's still a lot of faffing about our end if your white balance is all over the show. That's obviously going to take longer to grade. Um raw raw footage obviously is at the top mainly because we can then fix a lot of those mistakes on the fly <laughs> so yeah so if we're ProRes we're baked in right that's the thing if yeah we're... if you're ProRes you're locked in if so if if you're shooting red I would always 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 ask for the raw footage because what you're shooting there I I'm probably going to change <laughs> no well, this, is a, this is a very important part of the conversation yeah. it's a lot of things that like I, I find myself having this conversation a lot with trainees a lot of people coming through the ranks and I want to mention any names, but you know, you've seen a few auto white balances on some things and you're like, yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like understanding that that's immediately destructive. As soon as you've got to change that, oh. it kind of gets back into this, this point of conversation. It's like, as soon as you've got to change anything, it's destructive. Right. 
And again, I know yeah. a lot of people understand this about this, but there's a lot of people that don't. And there's raw conversation versus your, you know, RGB codec that's baked in. It's like there's there's contention here for a good reason. It's like if you're yes. not, old, you know, if you haven't done it right, exposure or white balance, etc. ISO, you know, all things that we can change. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we should have exposed them right, there are you know, all things that we can change within RAW, but yeah, within sure. ProRes, we can't, right? Well, even, you know, even down to the color science that is comes out of the red camera, you know, you've, you've got so many different varieties. So you can shoot with a rec look on on set. And then if you create a ProRes from that to send to your colorist, you've baked that look in. Whereas in the RAW file, we can, we can change all of that. And that's not, you know, it's it's like pushing that's advantageous yeah right yeah, I mean, we look, can, again we getting into horses for courses malleable advantageous right definitely definitely more advantageous the more you can give your colorist the better your grade is going to be but if you imagine you're on the clock so every change takes time so if your white balance is all over the show on your three minute short film for example yeah then you're going to be looking at a good 45 minutes, potentially up to 45 minutes of that going through, because depending on how many cuts you've got, balancing, just making sure. Whereas if you've shot that seamlessly, then all of that time is being spent on the creative rather than the fixing. The question for me as well on the white balance one, say you've got two slightly off white balances and you're in uh, you know, a ProRes codex, so you're baked in. Yeah. Um, is it actually possible to match them? The exact same if you're in two white band spaces. Yeah. Yeah, cool. That was one I you wanted can, you, to you, No, 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 yeah, no, no, no. You can you can definitely match it. It's just it's it's when you're on the clock talking like we were before, saying that, you know, sometimes you don't feel like you've got enough time. It's if if everything is shot well and this in, in a similar world, then all of that time is just dedicated to to enhancing as opposed to fixing. So it, it's not to say that you won't be able to do that. It's just that then eats into your creative time. Mm. And it's yeah, trying to just communicate this point of it being destructive as well. It's like that is degrading yeah. the image at a certain point, but it's just like, how tangible is that? You know, it's well, if you think once it's at ProRes state, every single thing that you do is degrading the footage until it goes, until it's spat back out again. So you know, even a white balance tweak is, it's, it's minimal degradation, but it is still degradation. Whereas if you're doing that on a raw level, then that's not, that's, that's all there baked into the raw data. Sorry, is that what you're looking for? <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's all right. I'm just like trying to find the to these questions. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> you and I both know that you can get into this incredibly technically, but there oh, is gotcha. a fundamental level which is required for understanding. And it's like, and a lot of people just kind of get that mixed up. They get focused, you know, way too hard on the wrong information or become like, oh, I've got to do it this way or whatever. It's like when all you need to redo was learn how photography works and then how exposure works. Yes. <laughs> I think all colorists should spend a day on set at least in their life. I think my years of being on set as a photo assistant and learning about light has helped me to no ends in in my career now as a colorist and understanding why the dp will have done something in a set because i feel like you also as a colorist like we've brushed on before you can you can destroy an image um and sometimes you'll see colorists trying to relight what the dps tried to do and 
they should really be looking for where the, the light is coming from and what the DP is trying to do what's and then just intended. enhancing what's there as opposed to completely unless obviously the dp's gone i didn't have time on the day i'm so sorry we had like an hour to shoot this artist and the light's in completely the wrong place what can you do then (laughs) (laughs) i'm saying that's happened once or twice but i feel like we need to like do an almost a how-to on how to recover (laughs) like when you haven't got light but at the same time i can't encourage that either yeah let's let's not and like like, you know like day for nights for example there's, there's, yes, day for nights are possible, but if you're shooting into a setting sun, then making that look like nighttime is going to be pretty difficult. <laughs> <laughs> that, that moonlight was really bright that day. <laughs> yeah. And that shadow was intense. <laughs> <laughs> like five stops under there. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it does, yeah. Again, I mean, like, I could make a whole book out of stupid, stupid client requests, <laughs> things <laughs> like that. I had one about two days ago from a client asking me, the sun, so the sun is in shot. It's a girl, she's running past the sun. Uh-huh. And um, it, would, it was all like a really warm, like, you know, sunset vibes. And the client came out like, yeah, it's supposed to be middle of the day. Like, but the sun's here. Yeah, and the light. shadows yeah. are like way down there. What middle of the day country are you in? <laughs> so we're asking too much of the uh, yeah. suspension of uh, disbelief here. <laughs> this is the thing. And it's like, yeah, we can make it cooler. We can do that. And we can make it appear like it's the middle of the day. But anybody with half a brain is going to go, hang about. Why is the sun there if it's the middle of the day? And then you've lost your audience because they've snapped out of the, the reality that you've created. Was that shot thrown in like during a midday type thing? You're saying like, and it was like they ran out of time on the day and they ran over and they were like, oh, we're just trying no, to it was the just shooting a, or the whole shoot was at the wrong time of day? Just the wrong time of day. Okay, the whole shoot was the wrong time of day. Okay, fair enough. Well, I think that was probably one of those. Camera. No, I think it was probably one of those like the client had something in their head that they just didn't voice to anyone. <laughs> you know, when you get that feedback and you're like, oh, <laughs> everyone's a little shocked by <laughs> You know what? It's so funny as well because, like, I feel like this is something that has has been ever evolving and ever changing, and not necessarily in the right ways. But I know a big conversation we're having with different people is kind of how they are communicating their own means and methods for all these different reasons. Obviously, there's a creative intention at the beginning, and ultimately, it's really all about kind of like getting that concept, whatever creative writing it might have been at the beginning, through to the end. And it's kind yeah. of as close to that thought process as possible of course you're going to have different creative inputs throughout the way there but keeping hold of that like there's an image in someone's head that needs to kind of get to the finish line I feel like that has been the longest and biggest lesson in my entire career it's like trying to I initially micromanage that process like trying to do too much like I need to really then you know there's a gentleman called Stefan Bonini who was on an earlier podcast with us he's a really good friend of mine he's a bit of a mentor and he was really able to go into sort of like just communicate as early as possible you can your working methods as concisely as you can and if it's not going to work it's not going to work and it's so much just about like not sticking to your guns but just kind of knowing what you should be signing up for yeah definitely (laughs) and 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 having said that you know for us as colorists we sometimes will get sent a treatment halfway through a grade and you're like why are you sending me this now? Why didn't you send me this before the grade so I can have a look and at least then know like what the creative page, intention. 
Yeah. yeah. So like know what you guys set out to do to begin with. So the client is will have seen that creative, signed off on that creative. And so I need to try and stay true to that rather than receive that, you know, three hours into a four hour grade and go, oh, so it's supposed to be really light and poppy, but we all feel like it looks cooler, dark and moody, but Kai's going to completely wig out when they see this. Someone's not going to have a good time when they see this. <laughs> yeah, even though we think it looks great, like that kind of wasn't the point, was it, Kai? <laughs> Again, it's the other side of this that we're understanding is it totally happens at every level of production. It's oh, like, yeah, definitely. Like someone you can just get carried away. Email at the right time and they're like, oh, there's a treatment at attached to this description oh no <laughs> oops and it's the way they're like oh sorry I totally forgot to send you that like yeah no it wasn't wasn't really important at all nah not at all <laughs> visual reference that depicted the absolute colour tone and power yeah. of the entire piece yeah that pantone that the client's been banging on about the whole shoot yeah no really glad you didn't send me that <laughs> But to be fair, you do get a lot of really good, like, I, I'm, I'm talking about the bad times. You get a lot of, sometimes you do get information overload and I get scripts sent to me and I'm like, I don't really need that. <laughs> Just need your mood board. But that is part of the process, though, isn't it? You know, like, what, what is in your ideal world, what's someone giving you? as that reference is it just a mood board and some visual references with some other you know other grades attached or is it like getting into it is, do you want to have a meeting with those people we're going to have a proper I, about these things? I would always love to have a chat prior to the grade because you know you can get you can get a treatment and the treatment will have been sent to the client but then the treatment doesn't necessarily tell me what's happened on the shoot day because from what's happened in that treatment that's been sent to what's happened on set there's so many decisions that so were made. Variables. So many variables. You know, what was happening in the treatment might not necessarily have been working on set. So they could have, mm. you know, people people change things on the fly all the time. Well, so, crazy, yeah, that's, that. you know, that's why we do what we do. Um, so for me personally, I would always love a chat. Love and, and I love to chat with the director and I love to chat with the DP. I, I, personally, the best grades for me are when both of those people are involved. Yeah. Because obviously the director has the vision for the story that they've created, but then the DP has created that world with them on set and can, you know, help guide me with, you know, some lighting decisions or, oh, I tried to gel up that light to, to really, you know, enhance, you know, this color. Can you, is there any way you can window that and you can make that stronger? You know, all of that will come from the DP rather than the director. And I do find sometimes, especially in advertising, that they're almost sometimes forgotten about. And it's really quite upsetting when you don't get to have all of that information. Because then when you start the grade, you're in the strongest possible place to begin. Um, and if people can't be with me in the room, I always love to have everyone in the room, mainly because it's just good banter as well. But if everyone can't be with me, what I'd love to see is examples, great examples, because you can get a really quick idea for somebody's style when they send you a collection. There's normally a thread that runs throughout all the images. They're like, I like this, I like this, I like this. Yeah. And as a colorist, you can pick out like, oh, okay, I see you're into a milky shadow. You like a bloomy highlight. You like quite desaturated. Like you can pick up on what people like and then you, you know then where your starting point should be. Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating to get that insight because, again, it's something that which 
from you know saying from my perspective and a lot of people like myself are harping on about the whole time it's like this relationship needs to be cultivated it's not something that can be secondary you know what we should kind of there should be certain people that are implemented in the process you know straight away from the get-go but so often forgotten about so it's good to know what sort of how I mean, a follow-up i guess in that regard is how do you go about finding and just you know cultivating those relationships with those kinds of people is it very much through the company you work with or do you have personal relationships and um both really um i love an awards yeah. <laughs> who doesn't um i you know you meet a lot of people at you know social networking events. i used to meet a lot of people down in the pubs in soho but that's mm. not a thing at the moment sadly but i've got you know i've got relationships and still really good pals with the director of my first ever music video that was graded in actually that's the basics graded in a corner of my living room <laughs> off a laptop it all somewhere it all starts plastic somewhere. panel well you do like when you're first starting out you'll just do whatever you can do that actually got nominated for a UK MVA that video as well all right <laughs> well done. but I'm but still really good pals with her and still really good pals with a lot of um the directors that I've worked with over the years. What was the music D- video? D-O-P's. What was it? Oh, uh, it was called Han. Was the band All in the Value, and the director was Jeej Hour. If you don't know her, you should because she's fat. That's what I'm saying. We got to shout these people out. We're going to go yeah. check them out. She Even is just to an- criticize your work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's. I'm going to highlight. It was graded on. <laughs> No. It was good. good. Like it's important the thing that the is, audience understands. Start somewhere. You got to start yeah. somewhere with these sorts of things. And like you said, if it's still but a testament. That was shot on an Alexa on ProRes. I guess what's interesting as well. Still my favorite like, tool. <laughs> do you have any tips for those people who that is their only option? They're just starting out and they love the idea of coloring. But I mean, you know as well as I do that they're not the positions of color graders are few and far between. And like you do have to stand out before someone's going to give you a shot. Like. What about this person who just has a laptop and, you know, I don't want to say Premiere, but like maybe has got himself a free version of DaVinci Resolve or something like that. Like- hey, I that's I graded that on the free version of DaVinci Resolve. You can export up to, I think it's up to 4K now on the free version. The be- the, the I'd say the best thing you can do if you're starting out and you're serious about getting into color grading, the most important thing to do, first of all, is get yourself a panel. Because what you can do with a panel... So we're talking or um, the control panel control panel Sorry, yeah, that's yeah. I mean a, a grade grade monitor is obviously priority sorry yeah no a grade, grading monitor is is going to be your go-to like first of all you don't have to spend like you know 100 grand on the best monitor to start with though like I started out on an ISO it's a photography monitor I think it cost me like I mean it was still about 800 quid but that, if you're looking at colour critical work, then... Investing in yourself in that regard, like the difference is, as you've said, 800 quid versus a, your conventional grade monitor, which is 10 grand plus. Yeah, Maybe. easy. Yeah. yeah, to start I mean, with. That's yeah. what I'm saying, right? Well, with all the kit that goes with it, yeah. I mean, Oh, of course. Yeah, right. And that's the thing. I mean, it's like, I mean, again, just to sort of help people out back home, those people are looking at those monitors, what are they looking for? Obviously... I'm aware that HDR is a thing, but you aren't going to get for 800. You're not going to be grading one of the HDR. And also, if you're grading in your bedroom, you're not doing color accurate HDR work. So stop. Like, it's like. Oh, bring it on, bring it on. Yeah. Now we get into it. The thing is, if you're getting, like, if you're starting to grade HDR, you need to be on 
definitely a grade one monitor. Oh, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do HDR in a minute. Let's just start our basic guys. They're shooting on their digital SLRs or their sort of like black magics or something like that. Yeah. Get yourself an, I, I, I'm a champion of an ISO. I loved an ISO. It did me wonders for starting out. I graded, God, I can't even count how many projects I graded on it. I had an ISO, I had a plastic wave panel. I had it all hooked up to my laptop. I just had a MacBook Pro. Um, and I was, you know, obviously if you're starting out, you're not taking on 8K red footage. Like you're not, you're not doing that sort of work at that level. So your system hardware doesn't need to be at that level. So, you know, I can still do it. I can still bang out a pretty good grade on my laptop now, but you've got to have it hooked up to a color accurate monitor. That is rule 101 is that has to be calibrated. It has to be in a room that isn't painted fluorescent pink. And <laughs> come on, I know why. You know, tell me why. You tell the audience why, because I know why. <laughs> so you need to, you, I mean, ideally, if you're really getting tech into it, you want your room painted a specific gray Pantone, which will neutralize the eye, will neutralize the environment. Color you want it to, right? Yeah, you want it to be blacked out. So everything that you're looking at, if you're looking at your screen and your wall is orange behind, or let's say your, your, your wall is, is, is pink behind, right? And you're looking at your screen, your eye and your brain will be mentally doing a calculation to subtract the pink that you're seeing from what you're seeing. Like that it will be happening inside your head. You won't even realize you're doing it. And so before you know it, you'll have added way too much green into your workflow. And, right? Yeah. The, be- the best way to test this, to, to know what I'm talking about, is if you get a really vibey color and then put it just in, in your eye line and stare at it and then shift your eyes and you'll get like a blink of a different color and it will be the opposite color to the color that you're looking at. And that's what your brain is doing constantly. Yeah, a negative version, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So if you're looking at something that's really blue, you'll get a yellow. It's, that happens all the time. So we say 18% gray and keep it dark but don't don't go black because the minute you go black you're then going to be going overboard on the the display as well yeah Yeah, yeah. so you just want your room yeah you just want your room to be um yeah like a like a low level gray easy on the eye get yourself a little light behind if you can that's daylight balance if you're getting really serious um that will help with eye strain and and yeah and then great away get cracking get on resolve i'm so happy to say that that was like we we, we nailed some solid advice there look at yes. that <laughs> 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 it's so important to understand that they're like there is a so such a straightforward procedure and i, ha- I keep having these conversations with people that they just don't know where to start and they might have started and then there's a next bit and they're like, uh, I've got loads of questions and I don't know what to do next. Or like I said, I've got a few people around me at the moment that sort of juniors in different departments, whether it be edit, whether it be camera, and they're trying to work out which direction suits them. Even basic stuff like we talked about with your photographic background and you understood that about your own personality that, oh, there was, there's a part of it that really calls out to you it's the retouching it's the post-production part of it it's you know it's delivering that color element i know that isn't as obvious for some people because it's just not (laughs) because i know that there's like a lot of different things that people enjoy about it but it's okay to enjoy watching a movie 
and being like, I like stories. Yeah. <laughs> and being like, oh, actually, you know what? Do I like telling stories? Can I be a good storyteller? Or am I well suited to another element of this production process? Like, oh, I'm really well organized. You should probably produce. <laughs> exactly. I can never produce. <laughs> this is what I'm saying, because the reality is like, how many of us, seriously, how many of us are like useless at organizing our time, organizing our space, organizing our stuff? Like, oh, even the house, how many times do you forget stuff? And you're just like, I'm just going to distract myself by doing the laundry right now. And I'm now 20 minutes late for something. <laughs> Oh, during lockdown, I miss my producers telling me where I should be and what I should be doing. I think it's probably a trained skill as well. I think it's probably one of those situations where, like, if you get so, like, <laughs> if you get really bad at it because the producer's telling you what to do all the time, you probably do get worse at it. Yeah, I, I think so. You become reliant. I'm not sure. Maybe there's an ADHD. They're person. enablers. That's what they are. <laughs> Your lunch thought, order, Jax. Don't worry, you don't have to think about eating anymore. It's like, why am I? <laughs> oh, I, I certainly do appreciate that because there's a creative question that comes into that as well, obviously. There's a point in time where you have to start asking yourself questions of how do I develop? Where do I get that feedback from? Is, was there a point in time in your career where you sort of like, obviously, awards, you mentioned those, are an incredible opportunity. You know, position to put yourself in like oh cool I can put this out there and someone can tell me whether they like it or not and obviously working with an incredible director and that's up to you to decide and you were lucky enough to find these different kinds of people down down the roadside there but was there a point in time where you you're like is this good enough am I ready for a job doing this or did that happen quite sort of naturally and organically Oh God, I suffer massively with imposter syndrome but I think I don't think I know a colorist that doesn't really um I, I personally yeah, common in the industry for sure like yeah I mean I I'm constantly second guessing if anything I do is good enough um I, I go to award ceremonies I love seeing what everybody's done I love to see you know like um Simon Bourne I think he's absolutely incredible and I feel like every award ceremony I go to he cleans up and I'm like will I ever be as good as him <laughs> <laughs> Stop comparing yourself, Jax. You're really good. Right? <laughs> Thanks. Praise right now. It's all good. <laughs> um, I just, I, yeah, I mean, I think for me, when I first, especially when I first started out, um, I did a lot of training. Um, so I kind of, I trained with the ICA with um, Kevin Shaw. Kevin ICA, Shaw. What is that? So International, International Colorist Academy. It's around by... Academy. It's all good. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin Shaw and Warren Eagle. And it's... Like for me going, so I, I sort of did a couple of the um, tri- other, other um, they'll remain unnamed. And I did another training um, that wasn't great for me. It, I found that it was very technical on how to do something. Whereas I think a lot of what we do is, I think you can find a lot of technical information online. You can, you can Google, especially with results. You can yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. You you can Google, you can figure out really quickly how, you know, how to set up your monitor, like things like that. But what you might not necessarily find out, like information on like is, how do I do a bleach bypass? Like I hear people asking for it all the time. How, how do I do that? Or what is how, a bleach bypass? Or yeah. what is a bleach bypass? You know, what is cross process? Like what, what are these yeah. technical terms? Where does that terms? actually come from? That's the other thing as well, right? Exactly. Like what's the history behind that? Um, and I think things like that, you can, you can scroll YouTube and there are a million and one like 
different tutorials on how to do different looks. But for me, what I found really interesting was going with the ICA and I learned the fundamentals of what color grading is all about and like why we do what we do. And that would, that was quite important for, for me learning was coming from a researching angle and you do, I think in a stills capacity, when you're retouching your style, and I came from beauty as well. So I did a lot of hair campaigns um, and taking straight hairs out. You mean stuff like that? Yeah. Oh God. Um, I do not miss those days. I'm sorry, <laughs> just watch a bit of your soul disappear there. <laughs> did you just run out the window? Um, but so, you know, we spent hours getting that meticulously right. And every single pixel had to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that I think when I first started out in motion that I learned quite quickly was every frame moves. So not every frame has to be perfect. It just has to work as one. Work together, yeah. Yeah, as a yeah so that, that meticulous side of me that I'd spent years honing, I got to kind of just loosen up a bit and it was great. But it wasn't until going and learning with Kevin and seeing them work and and raising questions on like, cause I was talking about skin and was like, but she's got a pimple and it shows up like on that, like that tiny little frame there. And he's like, yeah, because we're paused that's, on that frame. That's her face. <laughs> and that is her face. But yeah. I'm like, no, I come from ex hairdressing campaigns that shall remain unnamed, um, yeah. where people do not have paws. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh man. Um, but if, you know, learning things like if it's on the move, if it doesn't, if you freeze on it and it bothers you, then if you've got time, get rid of it. But if you don't see it when it's on the move, then you if you've only got four hours, why are you spending three of them getting rid of that spot? And that's, that, that's the kind of stuff that I learned um, from Kevin and Warren, which was, it was the sort of why we do what we do and how to spend your time well just also like you know because i don't feel like anybody ever talks about pricing and structure and time and and those kind of aspects of the job of being a colorist that you have to kind of weigh up um because Which obviously be pretty horrible to go into a you know, competitive and real world environment and go like oh by the way you've got five minutes yeah and also when you're first starting out like what's what's the normal what's expected and i've still got a notebook from the class that i I remember kevin breaking down like on an advertising job you'll generally spend this amount of time and on a you know on a bbc doc you're expected to do this amount per episode and all of that i found really helpful for me just as as somebody starting out in the industry guesswork out right yeah, well, you because otherwise you're like you to focus on the good stuff, right? The things you should be thinking about, right? Ex- exactly, exactly. So you know, hats off to those guys. They run a really good. They run a really good course for anybody starting out. I think things like that are good sources of information to go to. Does you ever get into the creative side? I mean, more so like how the creative uh, color, you know, how colors are used creatively to determine different, you know, atmospheres, moods, or tones, or or, you know, feelings or emotions, those sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, like I say, on those courses that you, you cover all those things, there's also loads of brilliant books out about. That, that for me was that. like a big revelation in understanding my first proper conversation with, you know, why we consider the, you know, the first point in time where you interact with the colors, because at a certain point in time, you're not doing that. And then suddenly you're introduced to it and it's like, oh, okay, I, how do I talk to you? The language, the language of what, the colorist. What do you need to know? I, I like that contrast and that 
got that color's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Learning all of our buzzwords. Is that buzzword? highlight a bit hot? <laughs> <laughs> a really important part of the process to me was understanding that how much control you guys have over that, like I said, that emotion and that feeling within the shot wow. and how much you can change it. <laughs> and like how much of that process I really fundamentally enjoy when I'm working with someone like yourself. And it's like, you know, we have our palette and the things that were dictated by art direction, the things that got us to like the general vibe, you know, the general look of the scene or whatever it might have been. And then it's like, right, now let's really get into it. And like, what are we trying to communicate with this scene and those things? And you know, the disparity and even the same shot that you can communicate can two completely different things, you know. And obviously we're not just talking about colour, we're talking about everything that comes together with yeah. sound. We're talking about sound design, we're talking about the audio that's going on, the visuals, how the shot is moving and things. But very Sound and colour go hand in hand for me. Right? I hate, I hate, it's like my worst bugaboo is getting a cut without sound because if there's nobody in the room with me that can tell me where that tension needs to build, then I need the sound because you, that sound leads the color. And I feel like the color leads the sound. There's no point in me doing like a really pastel poppy, pretty great. And then I hear the music is like, dun, 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 dun. and you're like, Oh, okay. That was supposed to be quite a stressful moment. And I've made it like sickly Happy. pink. And it's not <laughs> contrast. It's just confusing the audience. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden the audience is like, I don't know what's going on here anymore. I'm questioning all my life choices. <laughs> I wish one of my greats could provoke that kind of reaction. It's all right. We can all, we all have, we all have a, (laughs) that's it. That's what, that's my aim for the week. (laughs) I'm looking forward to sharing this with the audience as well. It's like Jax went out there and her ambition was to create something really cerebral. I coined that term from from Netflix, by the way, when I was checking it out, it's like, what's cerebral about this show? (laughs) We'll call it that. We're just throwing it out there. We'd like to find something. Techie buzzwords that just confuse and conflict everything. Word of the week, cerebral. <laughs> cerebral grades. I'm going to see if I can get that into a client chat this Please week. Do. Please <laughs> do. You can report back on that as well. <laughs> I might try and like secretly record it. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's. Just, <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying you off now. <laughs> No, no, it's just so funny to see the different tangents that we go on as well. It's, it's good fun. It's like. <laughs> It's such a hugely important part of the process, this as well. It's like, I mean, I spoke to you privately before this just to have a quick conversation. That's why we keep alluding to things that we spoke about before. But it's just so how, how much of that really um, becomes part of the creative process that when, when we are interacting and how much of it the audience, so to speak, or just like generally, I didn't understand. So I'm hoping that we can bring it to people to, you know, give them a bit of insight on things that we get. And we kind of forget that like are in our little bubble, especially when you're in, you know, especially the level you're at when you're dealing with the kind of projects you're dealing with. It's like, okay, yeah, there's that thing that I kind of forgot when I first started. But if someone is just starting out or even is at a level where they're aspiring to be, they're already working in a color environment or a post-production environment. And they're looking to sort of, you know, the way that you're enamored by the, the colorists cleaning up at the award ceremonies. The way that you're looking at <laughs> Like, oh, I want to be that guy. There's people looking at you going like, hell yeah, I want to be Jax. Like for sure there's people. But you know what I'm saying? Like there's, we all look up to different people within the industry and there's definitely going to be some insight that you're going to glean from this and go, oh, you know what? I'm going to go and do that next step. We'll find out what that thing is. So it's really super helpful to identify those things that just eliminate a bit of the guesswork for people, for sure. 
So thank you for sharing stories. Hopefully, Hopefully it's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, to again, just like bring the audience a bit more into it. It's like predominantly what you do is advertising, right? So a lot of commercials, things like that. You do like shorts and features and stuff? Yeah, anything. So MV, so MV split into two groups. You've got MV Broadcast um, and they do all the long form projects and then MV Advertising. So we do pretty much anything under 30 minutes. So promos, music videos, um, sorry, promos of music videos. Um, <laughs> I forget the buzzwords. Um, yeah, advertising, shorts, docs, anything. I mean, it's not to say that I can't do features and I can't do long form. It's just kind of have a short attention span so I don't like to take on too many <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you have to enlighten me on that process now obviously those processes are going to be different like you said like the attention to detail that you can afford and you've already explained that you've clearly got a vast attention to detail when it comes down to your your grain levels and layers and things like that but is that you know is that a surefire sign that your processes aren't necessarily matched to features or like do you have the ambitions of working on features and stuff uh, never say never I, you know, I, I flit and change my opinions <laughs> quite often, <laughs> but um, I, at the moment, I, because I'm, I like to be so specific and go into such minute details on things, this, that style is more suited to a short form job. Um, purely because of the timescale on how long you have to, to do things. So the, the broadcast world, for example, will get half the time that, that, that an advert, you know, they might, they might do a 30 minute episode in a day, whereas I might do a 30 second ad. That's the kind of difference in, in time. But, you know, in You're understanding why I'm pushing you with this one, Jax, right? You're understanding I'm pushing you to be like, yeah, I'll grade your feature, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes, we need that ridiculous level of amazingness on in an hour and a half. That's what I need. I don't need you for a feature. That's what we're talking about. Okay, if you've got about four months, then I'll make that time for you, Jax. I'll make that time. Why do I feel like that's going to be all of my evenings for the next four months? I'm making problems for producers. That's not my problem anymore. We need four months in the grade. Is that okay? Yeah. Let's have my producers talk to your producers. How long does it take? This is, this is take? what it comes down to, though, isn't it? Absolutely. How um, long does it actually take for a, you know, like a typical feature film to, to be graded? Um, I think, you know, you're looking at a minimum three weeks. Bare, 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 bare minimum. But I, like, because I don't, I'm not really a features person. I'm probably the worst person to ask because I would probably ask for a year and it would be the most labour-intensive piece of art <laughs> you will ever see. I mean... I look forward to that day. I look yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to know, like, how long, for example, Jill Bogdanovich had on The Joker. Like, girl fan, huge on her, and would love to know, like, how long she was allowed to do for that, because I think that is, like, an absolute oh, masterpiece. We can find of out the power yes. of the internet. We can. Yes. We're going to talk to uh, a lovely gentleman called Tyler Roth from Company 3, who worked on the marketing campaign for Joker. So Brilliant. Totally Pick his brains. Let me know. Go I want to know how long it. she had. I'd be like, hey, Jill, what's up? Yeah, it's time to go and knock on her door and ask her how long she had for her. <laughs> they are. I've been trying to sort this out for a few weeks now. They're so hard to communicate with because obviously he's working the same as yourself. You know, you guys are, you guys are busy right now. So like, of course, I'm incredibly grateful for your time right now, but trying to work out the time difference as well as working out how we can get like either a pre-record, like lives basically impossible with what, what they guys are, are dealing with over there. But we, he is totally up for it soon. So we're going to have a conversation with him. 
guys at Company Excellent. 3 out there are insanely amazing. And I'm really glad oh, yeah, to sort of contrast incredible. with you guys and have those kind of conversations because they're not vastly far apart in terms of what you guys are doing at all. It's just different stuff, you know, just different parts of the industry. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different areas of this industry that you can go into. Um, I didn't like, I didn't realize how different broadcast was to because when I say long form like there's yeah. there's broadcast long form and then there's you know then there's your feature long form that like they're two very different beasts as well as yeah, you know, so like a music you video yeah yeah go into yeah. It, like, it, like in terms of yeah. you know, long form being like a broadcast long form being like an hour TV show or whatever yeah yeah I mean I I you know I off my cap to the guys who do long form at Envy because um, I just I, just, I think because I fixate on on tiny details too much like I can't unsee something once I've seen it and I would have like it's in my nature to have to go in and that's why things take longer because I can't just like okay let it go um, and so the way that they create the shows and make them look amazing in half an hour like a half an hour episode in a day I'm just like how do you do that <laughs> Whereas, you know, in the same sense, I think if you gave them a 30 second ad and a whole day to do it, they'd be like half an hour. Like, where's the rest of it? (laughs) (laughs) This is done. And then they'd have the creative on the call going like, so let's talk about that tiny little bit of orange that tickles the back of his ear. They can't even see it. They don't even know what it is. Yeah. And they're like, (laughs) (laughs) or they see it and they're just like. Why is that important to you? Yeah. Whereas I will have seen that already and be like, oh yes, I'm going to clean that out. Yeah, I fixed that already. That was already done and now we're here for three days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's funny because the same thing happens in all parts of the industry as well. It's like, and this is another thing that's so vastly important. Ultimately, there's different types of directors. There's different types of DOPs and they all have different styles. And I think this is so frequently lost when we have these kind of conversations. Again, with people coming up through the ranks and it's like, where do you even start with that conversation? Because... There's just so many different types of shooting. Hugely different. No, I like, walked into a live broadcast. Um, What's it called? The uh, control room or whatever it would be. <laughs> a live broadcast. I saw the director <laughs> shouting down, I don't know, a microphone or a radio or something at someone else, somewhere else. I'm like, what the hell? This is so stressful. <laughs> like, I'm stressed out standing here and I'm not even doing <laughs> a job. Go to this, go to that. I'm like, I need to be out of here right now because I'm going to... Yeah. Have- some sort of that all of that <laughs> very much a commercials fashion and, and music videos and short kind of world <laughs> that's not good but even even amongst those you know i've got a friend of mine who another incredible dp um uh, sorry photographer photographer um director yeah. Her name is Libby Burt Wild. She um, she does commercials and she's uh, music videos and commercials, but her real passion is for narrative, um, like charity films. So recently I've done two incredible pieces. She did one, which has just come out called A Taste of Home, which is about Syrian refugees in Lancaster, which is beautiful. I mean, she single-handedly saves my soul, I think, for <laughs> the work that I do. <laughs> um, but you know she'll she'll go from doing a, a Syrian refugee doc and then she did I think a Huawei commercial and that in itself I think is that there's such different disciplines to be one minute doing That's something making my head hurt even thinking about care, that yeah you care so deeply about something you know she did this one for, um, for Freedom for Girls which was about period poverty which really hit home for me was something that I hadn't really 
hadn't really ever it's something that I think as a girl you 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 you're aware of. You just don't really I've know the quite I've heard of the project actually, yeah. Yeah. The, the extent Oscars, of it. it. Say again? It went to the Oscars, didn't it? No, that was Kamali that went to the BAFTAs, I think is the one you're talking about. Oh, I'm thinking of the one. Please, come yeah. on. But, um, but that's another beautiful one. <laughs> but no, she's, um, but again, like the, um, those pieces that are super informative and super passionate generally don't have much money, but they're still made beautifully because unfortunately... Someone you, cared about them. Like that's the thing. It's, it's being driven by the enthusiasm and the but passion by the individual, right? But also being funded by the advertising world. <laughs> So uh, it's like, yeah, sure. Okay, I see what you're saying. I got a few things like this. Yeah, like I'll do that ad job, and that's going to pay for the time, and then we'll do that that charity piece on this. On almost like on this. That to me sucks. That sucks because like I hear, I'm hearing that that charity project should have funding. I'm like those. One hundred percent. Like, but they. But then you know there isn't necessarily funding for them and that's the whole reason why you're having to raise awareness is because there isn't the funding there and personally i almost would rather that money go to the charity go to the charity rather than the film project of course yeah. but it's like with like, one hand it gives and takes with another isn't it now kind yeah. of have this like minor conflicts within my own head i'm like all right cool i want to go and work for that charity but it's like how do we even start because like my own you know effort and time put into doing that thing i can achieve a result but then there's this whole like dynamic of getting it out there and distributing it and all this fun stuff. And it's like, well, I want to make it, but at the same time, <laughs> if we can get some proper funding behind it, then we can go and do it properly. And then suddenly get yeah. the message out to more people. At what point do you sort of like, you know, what point does that like feed into the other thing? But I completely with you. You know, I think I, I sort of rationalize it by that massive um, oil company that paid me X amount for that job. You've just paid for that charity. Thank you so much. I think we're getting to a bit of a different moral dilemma. <laughs> 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 How the, you know, the capitalism in the universe is being <laughs> now. <laughs> gotta do what you gotta That's do. Funny. Redistributing wealth. <laughs> the Robin Hood of the, the, Robin Hood of the world. color world. <laughs> Oh god, <laughs> that is too funny. It's you know, but these conflicts do come into contention at, at points in time. I know of directors that have like had pretty hard times committing emotional energy to like projects that didn't deserve it. If I'm completely honest, you know, they get really tied up in like treatments and pitches for like advertising, and they're like, "Man, just find another outlet. Like, take it easy. <laughs> like, this is yeah. important, but it's still your job. Like, yeah. you need to like get that out there." do it. This is a creative medium. We should be doing these things and we should be like, you know, cultivating our interests and stuff and making sure that we're, you know, we have that in it, but like, save um, your soul. Right. Just don't necessarily put it, put it in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Some, there's some beautiful ads out there that, you know, are for good, you know, they are paid charities that do beautiful ads. I'm not saying that none of them are funded. Yeah, to be fair, one of them scared Just, the crap out of me in the movies when we were allowed to go to the movies. And I was oh, like, do you remember those days? I'm not. I'm, I was going to ask you if there's stuff you missed. We'll yeah you just hit you just hit it <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> i love the movies too but whenever, yeah. when we could go to the movies i saw this like really properly harrowing um like ad for charity and do you know what it's really bad because i can't really remember what it was um but it was like some kids singing maybe you can get there for me some kids singing and they start disappearing and i was like oh my god this is so horrible basically I, mm. 
Unfortunately, we don't have our researcher Jake with us today because we're not live. But he would be able to jump on the Googles and find out what this is for. <laughs> it's fine. Kiss singing disappearing. <laughs> I don't want to know what comes up when you start googling us. Yeah, I'm, I, I kind of don't want to Google that. <laughs> no, not at all. One thing I do want to know is what film I'm thinking of that went to the Oscars because it was. I'm sure it was about. Yeah. I'm going to get back to you on that one. We're going to like slide some things in the comments there. But certainly one of the things I did want to talk to you about was Kamali for sure. Like Kamali. Yeah. Like what happened? Right. Seriously. Love that film. This thing kills me. Seriously. Cause I was like, damn, this is so cool. Like how that, that must change your day when you get that land on your desk. How did that project keep yeah. coming about? Um, so I worked with Sasha on a couple of things. Um, she, Come on, so people can look. Sorry, around. Sasha Rainbow. Sorry, Sasha Rainbow. Another. I'm just. I'm just dropping all my female chicks today, aren't I? They're all incredible. Um, Sasha Rainbow is um, an incredible female director. I've worked with her first, I think, on a placebo music video years ago, which was for um, E Waste. And it was, um, it was, I don't know whether you might have seen it, it was all shot out in Agua Bloshi in Ghana. And that was possibly, you know, when you, when you think back to that one music video that you're like, oh, wow, that was pretty amazing. Mm. Um, it was all about, um, yeah, electronic waste in, in Ghana, in, in Agua Bloshi. And there's, Check she out, went out so there and shot this like incredible incredible footage um of of kids like you know they're burning tires and it it just the 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 atmosphere is just acrid that's the only way i can describe it um so we so we worked together on that she then did a short film she felt so passionately when she went out there to shoot this that she then um shot a short film called Coffee and Latte, which is also doing the rounds at the moment. Um, it's Kamali's sort of overshined this one for the time being, but this one's also oh. out there in, in, in the universe, which is based on these two kids, Coffee and Latte, that live on this e-waste dump. Uh, watch it. It's, it it's, it's harrowing and amazing all at the same time. These kids are beautiful. Um, and it's about like the the guy who I'm I am not doing this film justice at all because I'm not. So good, that's why we shout out. Alex, so we go check him out. <laughs> I watched Kamala earlier, so I'm you know. This but, one so, so we worked on this one, and then uh, so I know Jake as well, who um, Jacob A, who's the cinematographer on Kamali. Um, so when Sasha, so that 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 one came off the back of a music video as well, which was the Alpha Beasts music video. I don't know if you've seen that which the little girl skateboarder is Kamali. Um, and again, she, she saw this story about this little girl in India and, and yeah, went out and shot it. And Jake, um, yeah, shot all that on red, believe it or not. On what, Kamali? Yeah, Kamali's all shot on red. People think it's shot on film, but it's not. It's red. What's interesting to me is I watched it earlier and I was like, obviously immediately enamoured with the story. I was like, this is so, so cute. cool. Because, like, I mean, I, I need to temper my enthusiasm talking about skateboarding because I've been talking about it a lot on this show. Okay. And people are like, <laughs> basically, the whole last episode was about skateboarding. So I'm trying not to get too much. Sasha's a skateboarder as well. <laughs> <laughs> basically, during this whole fun, you know, lockdown situation, I've been, like, going to the skate park at, like, five in the morning before everyone else gets there and <laughs> just, like, learning incognito. <laughs> So that when, uh -huh. I, you know, when I eventually get good, I can like school all these kids. 
I'm not that good yet. I'm not into Brilliant. it. <laughs> no forward like, to that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm definitely in love with skateboarding now, fully. Like, we're going down to the concrete bowl. We're doing that for ourselves. So as soon as I saw Kamali, I'm like, yes, this is so cool. And like, just everything about it. Like, what I do find interesting about it, how did, it, how did, do you know much about how it came to be in terms of how they shot it? Like, did they just like throw themselves in there and just shoot or what? Do you know much um, about that? I probably am not the best person to talk to it's about fine. how I wasn't sure they much shot you about it. So I, re- I mean, saw the reaction on your face there was like, I know nothing about uh, so I know limited, it. yeah. I'm, I just feel like I'm not very good at talking about people's visions for their films in that side of things because I feel like I don't... Okay, more literally how it was shot. Like, because like having watched... Literally how it shot is shot on red. I can tell you that. And Jake is... One of the most fabulous cinematographers. Um, and you yeah, by he, himself or what? What's the deal? Um, he had a crew. Um, his, uh, gosh, his, his brother works with him a lot, actually, Max. Um, there's credits on the, on the IMTV, I can tell go. you, everybody. I yeah, can't tell you straight off the bat, everybody that worked on film. it. It's available online, right? We can we can all have the yeah. luxury of going and watching it. Yeah, it's available. It's on the Huffington Post. Um, you can watch the whole film. But yeah, it, it was nominated for a BAFTA. Um, but sadly, another skateboarding. Um, ours was skateboarding in India, but skateboarding in a war zone won. I feel like I'm liking the fact that skateboarding is involved. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Two skateboarding films in the same category about young skateboarders. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, I mean, it was a very poignant subject last year. Well, there you go. Obviously, it's kind of what I'm from that line. But yeah, I mean, incredible films. And I'm not trying. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not trying to. I'm trying in my head. I'm trying to like put myself in the shoes of BAFTA there and be like, no, oh, why is this one wing? But yeah, I'm going to get into it. I'm not going to be like. I that. mean, that was an incredible experience. Going to the BAFTAs was like, yeah, wow. Yeah. I'm so jealous. Like, I applied to their program like two or three times. They have like I don't even know what's called anymore because I got so dejected by. <laughs> I can't forms oh, no. at all. And it was like some. They do two programs. One is like, it's like a mentorship program. It's actually really good to be fair. So anyone that- Yeah, like, I know a few people that are part of it and they say it's incredible. I saw a couple of people that I did because I didn't know it was a thing. And then when I was there, I saw a couple of people that I know and was like, oh, great, what have you got in? And they said they were part of this program, which is, yeah, yeah it sounds totally incredible. Party on it, but they have a couple of different kind of mentorship programs. One's very, very in-depth and one's like the fringes, BAFTA crew, there you go. So BAFTA- That's it, BAFTA crew. <laughs> I'm glad you got there because I was like, Yes, because I nearly didn't get my ticket because when they asked me when I picked up my ticket, um, if I was a guest or crew, I said crew and then they couldn't find my ticket and it all got really panicky. (laughs) (laughs) I should have remembered that. (laughs) It's a good initiative. Uh, um, There was really nice things that they do, which is invite you to different talks and things like that. And I was able to go and have a listen in on some producers for some documentaries, which about like Grenfell and stuff like that. And it was around that sort of oh, time wow. when documentaries were being produced. And it was like the producers and the writers and the directors that were involved in those processes and just how on earth that even came to be. So it was really interesting and a fascinating process. But like, you know, you just get an email from BAFTA going like, oh, by the way, there's this live event going on. Obviously not someone right now, but the online library for resources is incredible. And definitely it's been like a really a major, like, from my perspective as a director and a writer and this, that and the other, you know, um, they got very in-depth. Uh, like no, it sounds amazing. From and, like, yeah. yeah, all sorts of walks of life and different things like that. So yeah, it's a really cool thing. Not so much for colorists, but. 
No, it wasn't. Um, a friend of mine that I saw there was a colorist. He was he was part oh, yeah. of BAFTA crew. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did not know that. So now we can share it with everyone. Oh, there you go. Cool. If you want to want to get into BAFTA crew, you can as a colorist too. <laughs> <laughs> I like I'm plugging them. <laughs> well, a little bit, but it's all good. To be fair, a lot of this is like I am not being paid for this endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a lot of what what we're saying here is there's like resources to go and find that are just easily and readily available to like yeah. And for me, late to the party on those sorts of things, but being able to underco- uncover um, resources that were able, you know, enabled me to, to discover the next parts of conversations, writing such a pivotal part, because that was always my ambition and direction from the beginning. It's like, I watched movies and was like, I just want to make that, like, how, how am I the one that's in charge? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, director, cool, no problem. <laughs> I want to be wearing the big shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I could not be further from that. I want to be the tiny little essential cog that nobody really gets. <laughs> the right. It's all good, it's all good. It's good fun. We understand where like, our heads are at with all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, I want to be in charge. You're like, look, I'm happy over here, part of this collaborative process, but this is where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Certainly in the writing side of things, it was, <laughs> you just completely like throwing my Sorry, out. I just set you off. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's all good, it's all good, it's all good. Um, yeah, from the writing perspective, like looking at the industry and going like, how do you even do that? Like, where do you even start? Like having sort of, you know, attempt, I've been writing for a great deal of time. I started writing when I tried to do college and then subsequently did nothing in that period of time. Um, like just didn't have any idea of how to get my thoughts on paper, let alone anything else. So it was like, right, you've got something of a scene and trying to work that out. And then it's like, oh, you've got a feature. Like I'm very lucky that I'm in the post development of my first one at the moment. So it's like having written 130 pages, like better get that down a little bit. <laughs> so it's a little bit out of hand right now. <laughs> I'm not getting too carried away. But even understanding that like, right, how do you even do that? Where do you start? How do you know if it's any good? What's that process look like? And how long does it take? You know, we, you know, I've been talking a little bit about the color process in terms of how long that takes. But like, it's very much, you know, not, you know, global understanding of how long a pre- any procedure should take. You know, I started getting pretty self-conscious. I was like, three years in now, <laughs> this is taking a while. <laughs> but you've got work, you've got a life, you've got a job. Yeah, of course. And it's like, that stuff just has to take a back burner. And you just have to be like, right, I'm going to, like you said about your friend, I'm going to earn enough money to give myself a bit of a barrier that I can then just like take the time off and just write. But yeah. even understanding those sorts of things was like, you know, not the most obvious thing. Gets me back onto one of my follow-up questions from earlier as well. It's like, <laughs> how long does it take to actually edit a feature from your perspective? You know, we talked about... To edit? Sorry, uh, not to edit, colour, to colour. What am I talking about? Oh. No, I threw that. I just completely... <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, Josh, what are you doing to me here? That's not what we... It's like, I've never edited a feature. I wouldn't even know where to start. I said I wasn't um, going to punch you with any questions today either. But. I know. <laughs> Um, to, to, to grade a feature I, uh, I, I mean like, like I said before I'm not really the, I don't really do a lot of features so I'm, I'm not I'm talking very much from like your understanding not necessarily from your direct experience from an envy perspective say because um, the advertising team doesn't really do a lot of features so it's I mean I would want a minimum of three weeks I would say um, but it's a maximum. kind of 
Like, are you aware of those sorts of things? I'm not necessarily looking for the answer here. It's just conversationally. Because, like, again, people don't necessarily understand how long that process is going to take. I mean, I think with a feature, it, it, it this, the varying scale is so dramatic because a feature can be anything from, you know, 58 minutes up to three hours. Okay. So, you're so you're... How long does he do for... Um, oh, Irish for... Um, it was like over three hours, wasn't it? I think it was three and a half hours, isn't it? How do we feel about that? Mm. Are we getting into that? Shall we? We can. I feel like we should, but mainly because I feel I, like <laughs> I wanted to go and watch other movies. And it was just as things were like, uh, that was a while ago, wasn't it? I was going to say just as things were changing, but I'm going to say in terms of the landscape of movies and streamers started, that debate started happening. It's like going yeah. to the movie theater versus like the streamers taking precedent. And I was like, I'm going to go and I want to watch that. And then he was like, oh, Cineworld, they don't want to put it on because... Nobody wanted to really air it in a cinema because it was too long. And it was going to stream it too fast, right? It was like, that was part of the debate. And then I was like, all right, cool. Where can I go? Every man, I think, had it in Central. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, three and a half hours. That's such a huge proportion of my day. I've got to really think about that. I can't go at nine in the evening. (laughs) I'm going to be home at like three in the morning or something crazy. No. And and I've definitely, as I've gotten older, like I like it. I like to have a drink when I'm watching a film. (laughs) And three and a half hours is a long time to hold it. (laughs) The bar as well, right? So you're in trouble there. Exactly. Oh, I love me a plush seat, like glass of wine. I get really into it. Oh, man. That's where we're getting back to that movies thing, isn't it? Like, come on, what else are you missing here? What do I miss? Um, I, I just I miss face to face with people. I'm that's the biggest thing I think. Um, I miss like because at the moment cause I've gone like I said earlier I've gone back to MB now because I'm back in the suite. I'm fortunate enough that I live a 20 minute bike ride, so I'm riding my bike over. I'm seeing my head runner Liam, who is like my saving grace of every day at the moment. To see his smiling face is like, you're somebody that I have not seen in the supermarket or that I live with. This yeah. is wonderful. But as soon as I go into that suite and there's just me, it feels really quite lonely in there now. I'm used to. I'm just used to the voices and the buzz and the chat and, you know, that, that banter backwards and forwards where you're like, what do you think of this? And like moving things on the fly, like, yeah, I've got my, I've got people on zoom. So like, I'll have my laptop set up uh-huh. I'm, I'm sharing my screen so everyone can see. And we're, we're talking like this, but that banter backwards and forwards between everyone just isn't it's not the same it's i guess that this is not normal for everyone as well like we, we've probably both become more accustomed to this whole procedure but the reality is we're sitting in front of a computer right now it's like oh this is super normal for us like we're talking yeah. normally, but at the same time a lot of people are like i'm not going to say the same things i'm not going to have the same sort of conversations as i would as if i was in the room with you and as like passing sort of distractions and sort of quips i guess as well yeah it's just i don't know it's a there's a vibe. There's always a vibe in my suite. Like the, and also, I, I, I actually, this is something that I realized the other day, and I kind of hadn't mentioned it to anybody up, up until now, which was in my suite, I always have like different playlists on. And it's something that I used to pride myself with, was having really cool playlists in my suite. <laughs> and we'd have a little bit of a, like, it was always like good vibes in there. So like everyone's chatting, the music's I'm on. Why you have a job now. Like, <laughs> just like, 
<laughs> Nothing to do with the colour. It's people come for the party. <laughs> it's just fun. It's all good. You come for the gin. Um, <laughs> um, and like, so there was, there was always like good vibes. Everyone's having a laugh. The work's getting done, but the vibes are good. Since the lockdown and since having this like backwards and forwards over Zoom, I don't have any music on in the suite anymore because I can't have music on in the suite and talk on Zoom at the same time. She can't hear me. So now my grading suite is quiet. So the one thing that has really got me now is at the end of a grade, we'd always, there'd always be like a hug. Sometimes we'd go for a beer down the pub Mm -hmm. and there'd always be like this sort of like celebration after, after a grade. It's almost like, it's like when I was, when I used to work in photography, um, I used to say my job was great because it ends on a clap because most photo shoots end with a clap. Like everyone's like, well done, everyone. Woo, great day. You, you and, tell your own fashion, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well done, everybody. It's all good. Everyone did a great Yeah, woo, we're all fantastic. Yay, clap. <laughs> um, that was many years of my life. I loved it. <laughs> so, you know, like now at the, end of, at the end of the day, there's no hugs. There's no going to the pub. It's almost like everyone goes like, yeah, bye, guys. Bye, guys. Have a nice day. Bye, bye, bye. Zoom. And then it's really eerily quiet in my suite because there's no music and there's nothing. And then sometimes I'll stay a lot later than our head runner because he's got lots of buildings to look after. And then I'm like, I'll leave and I'll look at the building on my own. And it's just like a real anti-climax from what I've been used to for so many years. It's almost Uh like, okay, that's done now. I mean, that probably sounds really spoiled, like how many people end their day on a clap and go into the pub for beers, but you know, (laughs) I like like it. Uh, it's all good that's part of the job for you missing. so you got that in the movie theatre I mean to be fair the, oh, the movie is massively like oh, and restaurants restaurants miss going I realised um, when lockdown started as well I don't cook that much <laughs> and now you do or you just haven't eaten well I started getting really fat because when I started cooking myself I realised I eat quite healthy when I eat out but when I cook for myself yeah not so much Please yeah, bring back restaurants. I myself and having doing that because, like, at the same time as this happened, the gym also shut. So I was like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is the thing. So everybody's out and they're doing their runs. I'm not a runner at all. I run like Phoebe from Friends. I can't. I don't. And it's like a running joke between my friends that I can't actually run backwards either. You know, like people can jog backwards. I don't yeah, know I about that. Now it's throwing me like, have I seen anyone do that? <laughs> yeah, you know, like somebody will be talking, then they'll turn around and they'll like run backwards. And they do it so naturally, like it's a thing. Well, that's not a thing for me. I can't <laughs> run backwards. I don't think this is a people thing. <laughs> I think this is something for your guys. No, you'll realise that you can run. Uh, hopefully you can't. And then I'll be like, yeah, you're with me. in one of the minority of the population that can't run backwards. Well, maybe that's what it is. Maybe if I try and run backwards, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not satisfying this curiosity for you. I really want you to try and run backwards now. <laughs> I'm already making it hard for myself because I'm like, oh, skateboarding, I can injure myself that like as much as I need to, but trying to run back, I'm not getting into this. Not but yeah, no, I, I don't I don't jog and my fitness is swimming. So I used to go to the Lido um, in Hackney and obviously that's been closed since lockdown began. I mean, you just so, jump yeah. in the river, no? You can just jump in the river? No? Are you going to jump in the river? I mean, no, the river's... I don't live in London, so... <laughs> The river around here is just all right. Your river's fine. I am not jumping in the Thames. <laughs> I value my life way too much to jump in the Thames. That's smart up. Maybe there's like a small, smaller part of it, which is a bit safer. 
God, I come out like some something out of X Men. We're not entitled to the baby, it's all good. We can have some <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's fine for those that swim in the town. <laughs> I love that this this started with trying to be technical, and then we were like, trying to make sure we didn't get too nerdy on it, and then we went <laughs> full circle back the other way. I think there's some point we were trying to work out <laughs> like a, an order of importance of staff when they would deliver you food at some point in time, but I don't know where we got with that. I think it was like exposure was important. I think we just left it there. I think let's just try and be technical. So like, okay. is there anything else that's important from your perspective? We got the exposure bit, you know. Exposure, white balance. Um, I mean, they're the two main. If you've exposed it right, you've got your white balance you've not shot it 720p and you're intending it for projection. That's, that's another thing. Okay. It's one thing to know, know what, know your resolution, know your end output. So if you're going into seeing something and you've said to your client that you're going to do projection, for example, a grade, a standard grade won't give you what's called a, a DCP, a digital cinema package. Um, which is a very different grade. So the, the black level will be different and your white level will be different for a cinema grade. So knowing your end output and communicating with your colorist, what your end output, because obviously if you're, if whatever you're shoot, you're, you're shooting and your grading is going to end up in a cinema, you ideally want to finish that grade. If it's say, for example, it's going on Netflix and then it's going into cinema. You, you're going to want two finished products for that. You're going to want one that's been graded in a cinema setting. You, you can go down, you can grade in cinemas and finish that way. And then you're going to want one that's been graded maybe on a HDR if it's yeah, yeah, yeah. for Netflix. So the, there's, there's knowing what your footage and where your footage is going to go is really important and communicating that all the way through the end line as well. I love that we got there. That was such important <laughs> and critical like technical information. Satisfied a <laughs> purpose. I'm so happy about that. <laughs> I mean, I want to, you know, put too much speculation out there, but cinema is the main thing is the brightness, right? On a projector, it's yeah. like, it's completely different uh, in terms of projection, in terms of how yes. that image is actually produced, right? Yeah. Did actually mention a very, very, a very relevant point there as well in terms of like the Netflix demands. Like how much scrutiny do you find yourselves under in the post-production side to deliver spec? You know, like, does that conversation like straight down the line now is that workflow like figured out or is it netflix has a very specific workflow i don't do much netflix stuff at the last post office i was at we started to there's a strict protocol that's got to be followed for netflix um broadcast side does netflix mm-hmm. advertising obviously we're we're not really in that world at the moment so we're we're, we're a different beast but yeah, netflix have their protocols and you have to follow netflix protocols otherwise it will, right get yeah straight from the minute you pick up your camera that is all it's very systematic on what they expect and what you need to deliver and And i know a lot of people get caught up by this sort of stuff like i need to buy the camera that does the netflix thing like the spec list for netflix comes out and everyone's like i better get that camera that fits for that because at some point in time i might need that it's like hold on (laughs) yeah hold up back it up know Uh, what your your pieces of the puzzle is and then work to that. Like if you're actually directly getting employed by Netflix, that's a different ballgame. If you're making a project that might have an end delivery of Netflix and that's your ambition, different story to do. Yes, exactly. If Netflix have commissioned you to do a show, then yes, you have to follow their strict guidelines. If you're shooting something with a view that Netflix is the only place you want it to go, then yes, 
follow their guidelines. If you're shooting something and you hope that Netflix might pay you some attention at some point in the future, you don't need to be so strict on your Netflix <laughs> guidelines. It's important though, you know, because yeah. there's so much of a public conversation about these sorts of things and a lot of people get very upset about it. So yeah, I understand huge. that there's definitely, you know, streaming isn't going anywhere, especially the likes of the big streaming platforms, for sure. Yeah. Like I don't know how much weight they hold in the industry, but it's so important that these people just like, okay, relax, make your film, get involved with doing the processes. I know it's from first-hand experience, you know, in terms of like getting a bit transfixed with that sort of stuff. We're like aiming for feature territory. And before we sort of pick up cameras, they're going like, oh, okay, cool, what do we need? And getting a bit into that. Now my requirements yeah. are different to most people's. So we actually were looking to Netflix and that requirement, but subsequently we did the diligence that was required to meet that. Well, I mean, all you've got to look is there's a Sonoboke film that's shot on an iPhone on Netflix. I love that we've been talking shit about iPhones as well. <laughs> How do you feel about I that? I mean... <laughs> How do you feel about that one? Have you seen it? Which one was it? Basketball film. Um, the basketball film, yeah. I mean, the thing is... I love that this movie is... title knowledge is terrible. <laughs> the basketball film. I'm really bad. That is something that I've tried to be better at, but unfortunately I retain knowledge for like very limited things, <laughs> right? Quite niche brain cannons, um, a lot of other things go out the window. But um, the one thing that I would say as a colorist is a curse is if something is badly lit or badly graded, it takes away from the story. So I know editors that are like, oh God, that, that cut was terrible. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I've probably been really excited by a beautiful grade and I haven't even noticed the edit really because I get distracted by colour and light and, and all things pretty. Um, in the same way, you know, I've been with sound designers and they're like, oh my God, can you hear that? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't hear you it. You become hyper things. Like that's your Yeah, thing. like they're that's fixated on that. Yeah. So, can you even watch so my, now, like with that in mind? Well... This is what I'm saying about iPhone footage. Okay, so that's the thing. You're just like... Ugh. So, for me, as a colorist, the story can be incredible, but if the grading is terrible, I it takes me... Unless it's some sort of fodder... It like better I be got, amazing, right? That's what I'm getting the picture of here. Yeah, like if it's, a fo if it's like a... I finished work, I'm really tired, I'm having a TV dinner and I'm going to watch some really cheesy American teen drama because that's my go-to, like Gossip Girl <laughs> or something. Um, <laughs> like, there we go, judge me all you like. It's yeah, definitely. <laughs> the look of judgment as well as the sound of judgment right here. <laughs> that's all right. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but like something like that, if I'm, uh, I'm signing up for it, I know it's not going to be great. So I'm like, it rolls over me because Your it's expectations just, are already diminished. Yeah. Yeah. But the minute I sit down to watch a film, that's a different, like I, I go into a different zone. It's like, okay, I've got my popcorn and like I'm, I'm in like the lights have been set to the movie mode, like, boom, let's do this. And then all of a sudden I'm like, what is that? And that's it. I can't watch the story anymore. And I fixate, but like watching the tracking maths and like, why is that highlight? Even, and yeah, I hate to even admit that I watch this now because it's so jarring. But there was um one of the Lord of the Rings movies. They had a GoPro shot that was in a in the river. Do you know this yeah, shot? I know this shot. <laughs> they went to what was it? Doing? Why? What it was, was the need? They went to IMAX as well with it. I watched it in IMAX because that was a big deal about it. And it was like I felt like someone had. Wait, it was a 4K yeah. GoPro. 
I accidentally, I felt like he <laughs> accidentally included like a proxy yeah. in it that was ungraded. And I was just like, I'm not in the film anymore. <laughs> like, it's, what? yeah. It's that, and that's what I'm talking about. Like that, it, you sort of, you buy into a reality when you're watching something that like if, like say for example, is it Sicario? Sicario that's really yellow. Like the whole thing. So don't take I love, No, no, no. I'm not going to. Because <laughs> when I first watched Sicario, um, it's so burnt. Like the colours are really like, like, sort of muddy and burnt and yellow and it's a really strong look so when you first like turn it on it's like oh god strong but then you forget like 10 minutes into the film you're in it and you're in the story and that's the world that they've set for you so you're buying everything they do if all of a sudden they graded something in the middle of that film as daylight you'd be like like that would be so jarring, yeah. Yeah, and that's the that's the whole point of like grading is to get that continuity. And once you've gone with a look, like you have to stick it and you have to follow it. So when you throw, like if you've got everything beautifully shot on Ari Raw, for example, and then you throw in a DJI drone footage that's <laughs> this happens, it happens in adverts of all the time. That's why I'm laughing, because that's the reality is like <laughs> I have, you know, you and I both have to have these kind of conversations at different points down the line. You're in a different part of that conversation. I'm in the early part of that conversation, <laughs> which is like, we've only got X money. That helicopter is going to cost X. So, yeah. and it's like, uh, but there's a reason why and who's going to get it. And I, I guess it comes down, probably comes out of who's scrutinizing things. Like you, for absolutely every reason, have a completely different level of criteria that you are satisfying than it's just generally someone that's not in it. Yeah. End user that wants to buy the Hewlett Packard printer doesn't really care that the DGI drone shot of that beautiful meadow isn't shot in a helicopter, <laughs> but it will kill my soul all day. <laughs> okay. Let's get a little bit technical, a little yeah. bit technical. Let's do this. In terms of understanding then we've got, Harry Raw, as you said, mm-hmm. and we've got DJI and it will be like a H264, H265 probably native. I think they do have a raw code as well, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, HEVC as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, is they the, can shoot a bit the, of raw oh, as well. Uh, which one are we talking about now? The new one. The new one can shoot raw. I can't remember. Yeah. I'm t- do you know what? I've, as well as film names, I am terrible at low-end camera names. I'm aware that that's fine, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> they, they can do a version of raw. I think it's mm-hmm. like a really clunky one. That might have been, what is it? Come on, help me out with the raw here. You should know this stuff. Um, I'm trying to get to what you're talking about. <laughs> raw, is it DNG? Like it's a stills D- format. Yeah, 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 yeah. DNG. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've got yeah, DNG. DNG one. Right. So imagine we've got those two formats. What's problematic mm-hmm. in the grade about getting those two? You know, getting them to meet in the middle. Yeah. Right. So. I know it's tough. I know. And I'm trying to think how best to describe this. Of course, we I just, So I described, I, just, I described iPhone footage through the day as, um, to somebody as um, putty. And I think this is probably the best way to describe the DJI as well. Please. Bear with me on this, right? So if you imagine you've got, um, you've got some Play-Doh, right? Fresh out, the, fresh out the tub Play-Doh and it's stretchy and it's squidgy and you can, you can sort of move it around, do whatever you want with it. That's your Ari Raw. Right. Imagine you put that in the oven and you bake it for 48 hours and you get it back out and you try and stretch it again. It's just going to fall apart. That's your H265. So basically 
your ARRI raw footage, you can do whatever you want with it, and then you can turn it into a H.265. You can't turn the H.265. Fine, but you can't reverse that process. So once you're locked into something at that low, it's almost like it. the, the H.265 goes, okay, right, I'm looking at the scene. Right, so you've got yellow on your post-it. As I can see, you've got a bit of red behind you and you've got a bit of, bit of, bit of blue in you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, I'm sort of assessing what you've got and I'm remembering it. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, okay, cool, what did you remember? And it's like, okay, well, I think it was a bit of yellow there. I think it was a bit of red there. And a bit of, this is H264, by the way. I bit, love the way you're explaining this because like, there's a really, really solid example that I'm now understanding. Go ahead, keep going. All right, so it's like, you know, I'm kind of remembering it and that's what you've got. So that's what your H264 is. It's, it's essentially like remembered like that. Whereas your, your ProRes quad force, for example, is going photo and then it's recreating it exactly. So that's the best way that I've ever simplified it down to the difference in the codex. I like what you're doing. <laughs> My understanding can help just like connect the dots a bit more and be like, all right, cool. Absolutely correct. What a camera, a digital technology in junior codec terms or like yeah. those very like, basic stripped down terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, like, it's a lot more intelligent than that. But yeah, it's super, super important. Like that compressed codec is yes. making up the information by previous imagined information, isn't it? Right. So those yes. pixels and that kind of information saying, it looks like this now I'm going to, the next frame, I'm going to change what's changed rather than renew the complete frame. Correct. Yes, exactly. It, it remembers it rather than saves it as an exact copy. You're not exactly, you're not getting the same information again. So you're not getting, if, you know, if we're literally moving, like my hands moving, you're not getting the same hand in the same place twice. You're getting an imagined version of the first one with the different pixels that's changed. Right. Exactly. Bingo. That's cool. (laughs) Hopefully that helps the audience some way in understanding. It's, it's, would there, but there's a time, like I said, there's a time and a place for it. So if you want to, if you want to put something on Vimeo after you've finished everything, then by all means, it's upload a, that yeah, yeah. as a H.265 file. Codec, right? That's it's a, an export codec. It's not something that you want to be ingesting. So that being said, when we start talking about bit depth, the the bit depth is is for a colorist. Is the if you imagine you have a sheet of paper going from black to white. And on a H and on a quad four, that will be a really smooth gradient going all the way down because that that will be you know say sixteen bit or twelve bit. I'm about to say quad four is like anything twelve bit upwards, correct? Yeah, twelve bit upwards. So that will be a really nice smooth gradient all the way down. A H two six four will be eight bit, and so those those increments going from black to white will be segmented, and that's what then gets you might see in some videos. Banding, we call it, where where you get lines appearing in skies and and anything that's a, a gra- gradiated color. Because the information is just simply not there. Yeah, the information isn't there, and it's low compression. So when we talk about ingesting H two six four, the colorist, when we sample things, say for example, on my screen right now, I'm wearing really, oh really. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, really. We, ironically, you were talking about compression breaking up. <laughs> oh, really? That's hilarious. And we can get into why that happens on a live broadcast. It's <laughs> <laughs> like as if the most hilarious <laughs> statement then is like recreated in front of you. <laughs> Brilliant. Where shall I start from? It's all good. We were at... Uh, 
connecting the dots between like the color information. So we're getting a, a physical gradient rather than a linear gradient, I guess is the best way to start back into that. So from the, what, from the ProRes? Yeah. Okay. So, so should I just do the whole ProRes bit again? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. So if you imagine a ProRes, you've got black going to white. It's ProRes Quad 4. And that, that, that's a 16-bit, and from 12-bit up 16-bit, that whole thing is going to be super smooth. You're going to have a really nice gradient. So for things like skies, you, that's where you want that sunset going from. The like blue and the brightness. We've got color information changing as well as brightness information changing. Exactly, exactly. So you get a really smooth gradient and you get a really dreamy-looking sunset or whatever. However... Other side, get onto the H.264, that's 8-bit. So those steps that are going from black to white, the information isn't there between the steps. So because you've tossed half of that information away, that's when you then get what we call banding and you get steps in, in the grade. So when you look at a sky and then you'll see it as, as, as you're going from white to dark, like these sort of like lines going through it. And that's just where the color information isn't there. Now, if you have that as your starting point, it basically means as, as a colorist, say, for example, on my, on my image right now, I've got a really bright red lipstick and the client might say to me, if this is a beauty grade, they might be like, yeah, we don't want to use that lipstick anymore. We think it's a little bit too red. So mm. can you dial that down a little bit? On a quad four file, I can just sample that red and there's enough difference in my face to be able to then just ease that down. Won't need to track it. It, it will just will be. If I try to do that on a H.264 file, chances are it will probably go, okay, cool. That's, that's kind of it. But then it'll like, it'll probably sample in some like my cheeks. It'll probably get like my guitar in the corner in because it just doesn't have that same smooth gradient and it doesn't have that same color depth. I hope that makes sense. Ah, I tell you it does. The thing is at the end of the day, like this is just something to help people benefit their future understanding and like you know find some rabbit holes to go down and like get lost in some information because that's kind of what it is it's like a big part of what I've always talked about in these kind of conversations when I've been talking to someone coming through the ranks or whatever it's like it's just like finding out what you don't know because you don't know what you don't know and it's like oh cool there's a little pocket of information that you can go and divert some time towards and even the difference like 8 10 bit 12 bit Okay, yeah, there's two numbers there, but like that's between hundreds and thousands of colors and exactly. thousands of thousands of colors. And like you said about those steps, it's like if you think about it, literally like blocks, and it's like, cool, now those blocks are smoother because there's more information in between the blocks. And now they just get smoother and smoother the more color you add. Exactly. So you're better at explaining this than I am. I just kind of take my knowledge for granted. <laughs> I'd be a terrible teacher. It's all good. I needed you to do that <laughs> bit first so I could then fill in the gaps because like that's. Like my brain did this learning immediately when I became fascinated with the technical side. So there's a whole raft of knowledge that comes from that, which I've been very grateful to sort of be in the right places and be in the right times. And obviously like I didn't go to the conventional university or film school route. So I had to find this stuff like retrospectively. I was like, okay, I should probably educate myself on this stuff now. And I was, you know, I went to the, you know, Dado Valentic, I mentioned him earlier on. He was a great asset in being, a, you know, doing some color training with those things, but it was more about acquisition. So helping me understand how the, the, that pipeline worked, how digital yeah. imaging and sensors and stuff then went, okay, cool. That's your sensor. It sees the image. Then the bit in the, you know, in the middle does the calculations 
and like how expensive that bit is how good that calculation is. <laughs> oh yeah. You pay a lot for that calculation. <laughs> and then it comes out the other end in, in whatever format, whether it's an SD card or an SSD or a whatever, you know, whatever yes. format. And then you have to have more money there essentially at the other end of the receiving end because that's how much data you're going to be receiving. Precisely. And how proficient your computer is at interpreting that information depends on how much yeah. the problem I give to you. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh, can you hear me? Yeah, we're good. We came back. We lost you for like a second where you went a bit like it was really funny because you were laughing at the same time. But <laughs> <laughs> I just do one of those like absolutely, yeah, perfect. <laughs> Brilliant. Love no, it. The, the premise is that we're getting to is that we're starting to like just kind of build a bit of a layman's understanding. You know, there'll be information hopefully here that's useful to people that are at that point in their career where they're coming to people like yourself. And they're going, right, cool. Now I know what information I need to provide Jax in order to like satisfy those requirements. But also, you know, get yourself prepared. You know, obviously most of the situations you'll have a producer for sure that will be like helping you out with that part of it. But if you don't, you might have aspirations. They might have a charity film that they want a free grade on. <laughs> or just reach out. Just like the best thing to do, if when in doubt, ask the question. Like, you know, people message me on Instagram all the time asking me yeah. stuff. So, you know, Reach out. I'm, I'm a human. I think, oh, <laughs> I'll wait for a second for that to finish. That's it's, it's all good. We're good. It's totally goes away. Uh, I don't know whether you've heard my cat keep crying in the background. It keeps going. Rrr! Rrr! No, he's fine. <laughs> it's just, he was stood next to me at one point. I was trying to pretend that he wasn't there because he was going. <laughs> Amazing. We were totally going to do that Skype. Is a Skype broadcaster thing where they're like going, the like kids come in. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just like. It's all good. It's like <laughs> this is what we're dealing with here. So it's all good fun. <laughs> I kind of want to kind of meet your cat now. <laughs> oh, I don't know where he's hidden. I'm not gonna. If I bring him back, he's gonna. I don't even know what he even wanted. I think he wanted food. <laughs> anyway, because my, <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing okay now. When we've been deprived of food, <laughs> he'll be fine. He'll survive. <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. I'm glad to. See, I know that you can take care of him, and I'm not responsible for the situation, so it's all good. <laughs> Where were we anyway? We were, just, we were good. We were talking about the fact that you know we're both in this situation. It was we're, we're able to give a bit of that information back to people. That's what we were. We were talking about yeah. like people that can be prepared when they're coming to have those conversations with you. That was it. Hitting people up. Yeah. There we got to. So people hit you yes. up. Questions. There we go. Yeah. Like any, like if you're unsure, they think that's the best thing to do. The the best thing to do is if if you don't know, is ask. Like definitely, if you if you're not sure if what Kodak you're going to shoot is the right thing, ask. If you're not sure if the camera is right, ask. Like because you know, like we said before, if if your end product is is only going in a certain direction, then you don't need to be spending thousands of pounds on like the biggest sensors. The best the, the best thing that you can invest that cash in is, is good lenses. That's the, the other thing that we've talked a lot about the cameras themselves, but the lenses, them they have a massive effect on the grade too. Huh. I mean, that is so, suddenly a new rabbit hole. I was like, oh yeah, lenses. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, lenses. This is the thing. You can have your white balance set and your exposure set and then you change your lens and then you need to address that again because each lens will have a different characteristic. And stuff like that, yeah, as well as everything else, contrast and all sorts yeah. of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That's fine. We can give the audience something to do in that regard. That's totally something yeah. we can we can be responsible for that. We can lead this conversation 
and we can be like, cool, here you go, audience. Here's a little seed. To be fair, you know, as I said, we're going to have other other folks from the industry. I mean, maybe we have you back on at some point in time. It'd be a pleasure to have you. Yeah, um, I don't want to steal all the color chat. It's <laughs> <laughs> all good. You probably get someone a bit more technical. <laughs> Absolutely not, because it's what what is really important from my perspective is that even in your department, right? You got engineers that might take care of like the very technical element of the digital negative yeah. right away and then they're going to deliver that to you and you get to do your job mm-hmm. which is the creative element like coloring the image or whatever you know the creative treatment or color treatment that you're working with is in that position so yeah it's very important that people understand that like you have as much it's a team of people that, that create this it's not you know i i get the fun bit i get the credit but there is a whole crew of people that are working on this before i get it <laughs> absolutely and that's the thing is that's what I'm just trying to sort of help expand from my own knowledge. Like I came to that very late understanding that there's all these people here that need to know hey, what's going on, <laughs> yeah. but that they're here to help. And this is a collaborative medium and that's how you get the best results. Obviously with the best world in the world, you don't always have the money you want for everything. You don't always have the pre-production you need, but ultimately when it comes down to it at the end of the day, it's like, Oh, cool. If you do have those things, there's definitely an order of priority and importance in terms of, right, let's get, let's make sure we've at least got this. And there shouldn't be anything yeah. else. Badly, certainly. So anyway, I digress. We've gotten, <laughs> we've totally gotten into a whole bunch of really cool stuff. And Jax, I'm really, really, really super happy that you were able to share not only a bunch of cool stories with us, um, but just your insight in terms of the industry as well and, and help people understand where you're at and, a few ways if they, you know, choose to get into color and that's what they want to do. A ways in which they can start going towards that world and, you know, hopefully, hopefully we've helped. Yeah, you never know. Maybe we have, maybe we haven't. Maybe we just, you know. Maybe we just brought more questions than we started with. <laughs> totally possible. Absolutely possible. Uh, I hope you know. If they have, email you, not me. Oh, yeah, oh, no, I was just about to give out your Instagram <laughs> email as well. I was like, you can go here, but Jack's no. out. You can hit me up. <laughs> there you go. From from Jax's mouth. I'm not putting those words in. <laughs> but certainly, if you've got further questions, you know, obviously Jax is a wonderful person and giving the ability to actually have a conversation with her. Um, check her stuff out anyway. I mean, you want to check out all the films that she works on. Um, certainly, Kamali, go and check it out, right? Cause, yeah, like, definitely watch Kamali. It's awesome. Yeah, you've got 24 minutes of awesomeness there. And what was the name of the other short as well? Um, Libby Burt Wildsman. Yes. Or um, Ab- so there's Absent, which is another incredible one. Um, the other Sasha Rainbow film is Sorry, other Coffee Sasha and Rainbow Latte. Coffee. Yeah, that's Coffee and Latte. That's that's coming out. Well, it's doing the festival circuit, so that's what it was doing pre-lockdown. I don't know what's. I don't know where everybody is post-lockdown. Well, we'll have to check it out anyway. Well, hopefully you can update us on your Instagram stories after Wednesday when yes. this is actually going to be broadcast. So. Okay. This will go out Wednesday, and then after that point, you'll be like, "Oh, people start hitting me up." I thought this would happen earlier. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be like, "Why? Why are people talking to who are these people?" <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Well, Jax, again, thank you so much for giving us your time today. Thanks for having me on. Very much appreciate. I'm sure CBP's audience super grateful for the insight. So, thank you very much, Thanks. and have a wonderful rest of your evening. You too. Thank you so much. <laughs> And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Jax Harney. So if you get an opportunity, I implore you to check out those shorts she was talking about. For me personally, it's always tough to find independent content, whether it's narrative or documentary. So I'm always grateful for a little something I can throw when I've got a spare half an hour. 
Hopefully that was a joyful experience for you all. I'm excited to confirm that Tyler Roth of Company 3 will be joining me in a few episodes' time to talk about the tippy-top of the post-production workflow. He's actually been uh, working on Black Widow, the latest outing from Marvel. So we talked to him about his you know, involvement with that whole process. And up next is Louis Houllier talking to us about getting started with FPV drones. They're the ones with the goggles. Um, incredibly different from any other drone experience you might have had if you've not had a go so far. The skill set itself is a sight to behold and Louis talks us through everything. So he even let me have a go. Thanks everyone for tuning in. You guys are awesome. Come back next time and we'll hang out.